Gaming MBS episode 119, Class and Race versus Race and Class? Thank you for joining Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Good to have you here. Yeah, welcome to the show. Whew. Tell you, man, it's been busy. Kind of crazy. Evercon's coming up pretty quick on me here. And uh, we're in the last, we're in the home stretch. Had a shit ton of banners delivered to my house. Got t-shirts showing up. I am uh, starting to feel Alex Cammer's pain <laughs> as D-Day arrives. Ooh, yeah. So, anything cool by you, Sean? Or should we just get right to this shit? Let's just do it. I don't think there. I don't think I have anything super special to share up front. Let's nothing get into super sexy. I had to say super sexy at least twice. So super sexy. <laughs> now let's get into random encounter. Do it. Random encounter segment of the show where we field voicemails, emails. Comments from social media. You want to go, Brad, or what? Well, we've got a voicemail from Goblin Tenchman. I can't play, play a voicemail. That well, that's oh, that's, is that up first? Do you have that up first. I'll tell you I what, while you're prepping that. that, I'll read the one from Jeff. No, I got it. It's up in here. You got it? I, yeah, okay. Got it. Well, all right. right. You, so it it's there. a longer one. Okay. All right. Now, stay tuned. Here we go. Oops, I better start from the beginning. I think I, st- I think I started it earlier just to see what where I could. There we go. You mentioned that you have this uh, voice box. I've never heard anyone use it. I've only been listening since episode ninety or so. So I thought, why not give it a try? Um, first up, I, I really enjoyed the uh, skill, uh, creative spell casting. Um, episode. It's sort of a, a thing that uh, I've sort of given some thought about in the past, mainly from the sort of DM side of side of the defense. I'm um, sort of an AD&D guy, and it's always sort of slightly bugged me from the, uh, the point of view that magic users have a maximum number of spells they can learn based on intelligence, and I've never, never really fully been happy with the idea. I kind of get the minimum idea, a minimum number of spells idea, but a maximum, what is it? You sort of burn out because you've learned these spells and you can, you just can't go over that threshold one more time. You know, you've got all the spells in the player's handbook and all the spells other people write and in the unearthed carda, and you get to the point where you think, well, that just seems unreasonable. So I sort of thought about this idea and then I, I sort of realized that in certainly AD&D you have these spell components. And I started thinking, well, what happens if you mix it up with the spell components? For example, um, Featherfall, you use a feather, but what happens if you used a, a feather from a flightless bird? Would that cause a, a new effect to happen, like, for example, causing a bird that can actually fly not to be able to fly anymore, almost reversing the effect? So I, I had a bit of a think about that, and I actually wrote an article which was published in issue 11 of And Magazine. It was called um, Leah, Sim- Leah Sims' Disc of altered alteration. Um, so the idea is that you, a spellcaster can have one spell like Featherfall, but use it in maybe two different ways. And I tied it to a magic item because I figured that I wanted to put some sort of limit on it and give it some sort of, you know, some sort of, um, you know, rather than just having thousands and thousands of spells, you might be able to cast from one Featherfall spell. Um, so there's some nine new spells there. And I, I try to make the, the new magic components uh, to be some sort of questing items, things that might make interesting plot developments. You know, for example, instead of um, rope rope trick, I made it into rope trap. And you get a, you have to say get spider venom, uh, phase spider venom, or blink dog's tail, or something like that, just to give maybe the spellcaster some incentive to go off and explore the world and, and maybe try find something else. And anyway, I wrote some some sort of plot hooks about you know, how you might use this, use this use this magic item in a sort of camp campaign or something like that. So if you get a chance, I'd be interested if you, you'd have a look at that and see what you All right, I think, I think he got cut off, and that's why he called us back to see 
um, if we got the whole message. Sean, have you done that with uh, spell components? Have you messed around with those at all? I haven't messed with spell components, and I think it's because it goes back to how much stuff do you want to have the players manage? Uh, Again, awesome to tie into resource, kind of uh, the game of resources. Yes, absolutely. Can drive it to... Drive it towards that, right? So if you're a spellcaster and you don't have the stuff to cast your stuff, cast your. So there, there's a, when I have done this in the past, I really, I like, I love this idea. I'm glad Goblin's Henchman uh, called in on this because I really, really like doing it. What I have started to do because instead of saying everybody manage every spell component they have because we forget about it or it becomes just a uh, equipment gathering and and so on that that the group just doesn't like or whatever, or the groups I'm playing with don't like anyway, is they keep track of the special components, right? So when they have um, a feather from an ostrich, a flightless bird, what does that do? They have that. They have five uses of, you know, they have one feather from a rock. Uh, they've got one feather. That's ROC, by the way, large flight bird. Um, they have, you know, five vials of, you know, basilisk blood or something. Those special components, um, when the players have to keep, <clears throat> excuse me, when the players have to keep track of the specialized components that may or may not do really cool things, I think that's that is easier um, than saying every time. So if they reach in a pouch, they always have a feather. They can always cast featherfall in its usual format. When you want to mix it up, twist it up a little bit, like the henchman's talking about here. Well, then you have to keep track of those special items that you have because you only have so many uses of those. Basically, treating it. Almost as he did in the And Magazine. And And Magazine, by the way, is a really cool OSR resource. So if you're not reading that, go out there and find it. It's pretty fun. Anyway, um, as he did with kind of making it more of a magic item perspective, um, you end up kind of doing that by giving them X number of quote-unquote charges because they have, you know, three eyeballs from a beholder. They've got um, six, you know goblin spleens or whatever it is that they're carrying around with them. And um, those things then become the... Um, the resources that you're tracking and all that stuff. You don't have to track all the regular mundane spell components per se, but those special really cool ones are something that you can track. I like the idea. It's fun. And it can really, it makes the concept of creative spell casting yet another, another way to take it and do something different with it, right? I'm going to cast a cone of cold, but I am also going to use the, you know, the eyeball of a white dragon. What does that do to the spell? Maybe nothing, maybe something. Who knows? It could, you know, double, triple, quadruple it, or it might do something totally different than that. I don't know. But it's uh, it's a fun thing for players, especially spellcasters who have the same run-of-the-mill spells, to be able to mix it up and twist it up and get a really cool effect. I like it. Well, and he also is talking about switching it up, right? Yes. R- rope, not rope trick, but rope trap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think... Uh, I think it kind of touches on going into the, didn't that one time you, if you could cast protection from evil, you could cast protection from good. Wasn't. Yeah. Well, you could cast the reverse, right? You reverse, could cast right. harm instead. Of, you could cast harm instead of heal. You could cast cause light wounds instead of cure light wounds. Right. Being able to take a spell and flip it just in its exact reverse. It's not fireball. It's, it's snowball or ice ball or whatever you want out of it. It's not a wall of flame. It's a wall of frost. Being able to take it and change it just to its exact polar opposite. Um, polar being a nice uh, ice ice pun right there. But anyhow. but Speaking of polar, do- man, it's freaking cold up here. <laughs> I had negative 16 in my house this morning. I was without the wind. Anyway, um, I like it. I really do. I think it's a fun way to the, the components. And when they want to do something different, I really want to have this spell. It's almost like spell research in a way from the... Um, if you use those mechanics, but a little um, less mechanically heavy because you're saying, hey, I want to, instead of doing rope, rope trick, I want to do rope trap. And instead of using the regular spider component or something else that may have to do with the rope trick spell itself, take it and make it something a little nastier. Like he said, a phase spider or an edder cap or something along those lines, or even a cave fisher. What might happen if I use a cave fisher's um, you know, blood or something in order to, to assist with a rope trap. That could be pretty cool too, especially if you're underground having you know, your Drugar or your Drow casting rope trap would, could be kind of fun. So I, I, I like the whole concept of it. That's really cool. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it could have some wheels if you want to get creative in how you do spell casting 
it, but it goes, you know, and there's, part, I think I mentioned this on a previous show that there's a part of me that wants to play a game that is resource intensive, right? It tracks encumbrance. It does the spell components pieces. But I also am afraid that that is going to take away a lot of the, maybe, maybe it won't be very fun. But I also think that you can get into some of those aspects that Goblin's talking about with, all right, if you get your spell components and maybe you can't find bat dung, but you can find something else that you might, you know, I don't know, bird dung, or maybe it's got to be a mammal. I don't know. And then you put that into your spell. How does that affect it? In, um, and the old Hellblazer comic, John Constantine, and others similar to that, the Sandman Slim stuff by Richard Cadry and so on. In those novels, the characters oftentimes are trying to cast a spell, but they've got piss poor gear in front of them. They've got a beat up newspaper, um, a piece of you know silly string, and uh, a button that came off of some guy's pants or something. They want to try to douse for this individual, so they know conceptually what they're supposed to have. So they take out, you know, this beat up map out of the back of the phone book. They've got a piece of tin foil and a shoestring and a bit of blood and this and this button and they're trying to find the guy. Yeah, it may or may not work or may or may not be all that accurate, but they piece the stuff together. And I think that it's a really good way to like I said, without having to be overly resource management intensive, managing when you change the spell, right? To get creative. Like, I want to do something really different. I'm sick of casting magic missile like this. I want to do this other thing with it. Um, look at the pieces and parts of that spell in an AD&D space. You know, what's the material component? What do you have to have? Or the somatic or um, verbal components. What are they? I say, I say the words backwards. I say them backwards and in Elvish. Or I, you know, trying different effects like that in game is pretty cool. Then it's on, it's incumbent on the player to write down what they did and what the effect was. Tracking it like any good, you know, wizard or spellcaster would. Hey, I did that backwards with a feather of a flightless bird in Elvish. And I had this result. I wonder what would happen if I did it in reverse gnomish. And then there's that inquisitive component of it. I think I think it's fun. Yeah, and I think you could do that with, I think the 300-pound gorilla we always talk about, it tends to lead towards D&D. But if you, I think if you can, if you incorporate it into 5e, I think it would be relatively easy because you wouldn't have to really alter anything. Um, as a DM, I mean, the spell slot allocation piece and the amount of times that you would be able to, and the fact that you would have to long rest, unless it's a short rest, you can recuperate some of the ones that are your domain, but just have different effects and then let the player choose the different effect. It doesn't change the amount of spell times, the amount amount of times you can cast a specific spell, but changing the effects, as long as it's not totally kooky, right? So if you're taking like, Oh, I don't know. What's uh shoot. I'm trying to think of one spell I always cast, like a cantrip or something. Cantrips might be a little bit different, but you know, maybe it's acid arrow or magic missile. And you decide to use a I don't know, a different type. As long as it oh. doesn't change the damage to like two D eight. Oh yeah, missile. as long as it, it it's a different effect, right? So I'm being right. attacked by a fire elemental all i have memorized is wall of fire as a method of protection i would like to do wall of ice or wall of you know abyssal cold or something along those lines and i happen to have you know a vial of white dragon blood with me and um this um you know pearl i found from the frozen lake of hali so i'm going to pull these things together and use them to try to twist and change that spell i think that type of creativity should be rewarded in the game and i think from a how hard would it be to manage the components piece? I still go back to only manage the special components. Don't have to manage the individual ones. There's different conceivable mechanics that other systems do, but that could potentially be used to manage the regular day-to-day components. But if all you manage are the special ones that the players use, when they find out that I use the feather of um, of an ostrich and spoke it in reverse elvish, and this is the this is the thing that occurred, how many ostrich feathers do you have? Well, I picked five of them off the last ostrich we found. Great, you got four left because you used it once. And then that makes them... I can always do the regular run-of-the-mill repeatable thing, but to do the special thing, I need special stuff. So it becomes a charged um, item almost. Yeah. I like it. I think it's cool. Time Monger, uh 
He says on our urban adventures, he's surprised we did not talk about Freeport as a setting for an, an urban adventure. Oh my God, I can't believe we forgot Freeport. Well, there's so many. Well, there's tons of Freeport's a good one. I mean, that's that's a fun it location. It is a good one, yeah. It is a very good location. Thank you, Time Monger, for po- pointing that out to us. Because, yeah, Freeport, as I trip over myself here, it's a well-developed, well-laid-out <laughs> piece that even if you don't want to use it verbatim, it's another good pl- resource to go to for maps and encounters and the things that can happen in that t- in a fantasy um, environment like that. So that it, Freeport's good. I've, I've played in Freeport ages back, but it's it's a fun place. Yeah. So we've got the email from Jeff. Uh, moving on here. So he said, name's Jeff, and I was wondering if you have any advice on how to keep characters alive. I think Sean and I are mostly into killing characters, but Jeff, we will try. He continues with, I have the tendency to have my characters die. It's not from me not wanting to play them. Most of the time I play my character to the T, and it ends up getting them killed. So I was wondering what you would do. Break character and keep them alive, or stay in character and watch them die? Whew. Well, <clears throat> hmm. So... This is one of those things where I want to, if Jeff were in front of me, I'd be like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, I get this, Jeff. Let's talk about this more here. Dude, do you have, what game are you playing? Uh, what types of characters are you playing? Right? If you're playing Call of Cthulhu and your character is constantly dying, I it, it, that job was dangerous when you signed up for it. Or you're playing DCC, yeah, that's what happens. Certain games, you just die <clears throat> simply through um, bad dice rolling or it's the, you know, the save or die effect or, and so on. So some games are just flat out more lethal. We talked about that a while back on how it's hard to die in certain games or very easy in others. The other piece is that if you have a character, I've got a buddy of mine who's played many characters and almost all of them have had a death wish. Dave has done this. Dave went through a, a phase of like the death wish character. Or he's always willing to sacrifice himself at a moment's notice. And every character was of the same ilk. Um, so if you do play your characters to a T and you're like, look, this is really what he or she would do. <clears throat> she would always do this thing, and therefore I will never break that component of it. Yeah, you may always end up dying in a very similar fashion or a, or just, even in not similar fashion, you may end up um, advertently or inadvertently getting killed because you're playing that character. The other thing I would say is that don't be afraid to make sure, or at least in my head, remember the character will grow and change. So Zave and I had this conversation once. He was having, he was struggling with what to do with his character, Ulf, in my Avalon setting. He's like, boy, I really don't think he wasn't built this way. And I said, Dave, remember, though, this isn't him anymore. That was when you made the character. All these experiences, has he changed his opinion, right? As a growing individual in a place where occurrences and events and, oh, my God, murders and all these other things are happening around him, has he changed how he views the world at this point, or would he question this? Why would he just do it because it's what he's always been doing? Would he not question? And that was enough for Zave to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do the something that's quote-unquote against his character because it's a chance for him to change who he was and therefore grow the character. So I think um, that would be my thought, Jeff, and it sounds um, kind of kind of mean, I guess, but kind of introspect on the character itself and say, am I playing the character regardless of growth opportunities that's possible. I don't know, Jeff, so I'm not trying to blame or say, no, you're, you're missing, you're missing a key piece, but maybe there's an opportunity there where you could change the character's approach to life or the approach to the adventure based on things that would make them say, Hmm, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should do that different. Sean, what do you think? Yeah. I think to add on that is maybe, maybe you play a character who believes in destiny and their destiny is not to, die at a particular point. Maybe maybe their destiny is to become something they think, right? When and it's maybe it doesn't come to fruition, but they they hold out for it. So they stay alive because they think their destiny is X when it's really going to end up being something completely different. Or it's free will, but they think there's destiny at play. Yeah, no, I'm supposed to become the king of Kenusha. I'm going to be the king of Kenusha. I don't care what happens to it. Right. But all the that's it's it's a you know it's it's not a you know it's all it's ruled by women. You can't possibly be the king of Kedusha. That's not how the realm works. Nope, that's my goal. That's my destiny. I'm going to be the first king of this great of this land. Okay, so you continue. No, I cannot die. I must become the first king. And you just why are you doing? It? It's just a piece of who you are. You're struggling constantly to fight against death and any other thing that would get in your way or stop you from eventually achieving your destiny. That's cool. Now, like what, on, on, on another note, 
VC should just stop freaking killing his ass. <laughs> is that VC guy? Is this one of VC's players? VC plays with him, so he's a buddy oh. of his, and he says he keeps killing him. So I'm like, maybe the alternative is just a. Well, I'll tell you right now, if you're playing with VC Young and he's killing you regularly, I think it's because he's a sick son of a bitch and loves to watch you loves to watch you die. I think yeah. that's fine. I've met VC in person now, and uh, I can say he's one of my favorite sick sons of bitches. Right. And uh, yeah, you may not you may not have much choice there, Jeff. If that's yeah, if that's your lot in life, it's not a lot, but it's your life. And there you go. <laughs> we we can only we can only deal with so much here. We you know we can only we can only help in so far, and unless you're dealing with something like that. Although I would say though, I mean the other piece here, and knowing knowing that it's VC, um, the other thing that so this kind of goes back to my conversation with my uh, gamer Zave is that Jeff, don't be afraid to talk to your game master, i.e., is VC in this case. If it is VC and this is the group you're in, say, dude, I am the hell. Am I not, am I missing something? Man, I seem to keep getting killed. And if it's like, look, dude, it's just bad dice. I'm sorry. It's just it seems seems to roll out this way. Blah blah blah. It may be that you're missing a clue or you're missing a piece or something could be done differently or changed that would ha- make you have a character that quote unquote better fits or doesn't um, playing the only paladin in a group of all chaotic evil characters. Maybe that's a bad idea. I'm not saying you're doing that, but that might be one of those things where, you know, you tend to play characters that are kind of off on their own and don't really have any friends or no one really wants to back them up because you're a backstabbing fucker and the rest of the players playing their characters hardcore don't help you because you've stolen from them or you stole his girlfriend or you stabbed this person or you did something. (coughs) Excuse me. So again, Jeff, not saying you're doing those things, but asking the game master in this case, if it it is VC from the games you're playing saying, dude, how is, is there a thing? Do you seeing something that I'm not seeing? And, um, you, you, it's, it's kind of that I'm asking for a critical analysis of what it is I'm doing type of thing, but you're also just looking So look, I don't, man, I keep getting killed. What am I doing wrong? You can even lead off like that. And I think you can have a decent conversation. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. And then if, you know, all else fails, resort to violence and everything will just hash itself out in a, a completely different dramatic way. Absolutely. It would. And if nothing else, resign your fact, yourself to the fact that VC will kill you. Right. And once you've accepted VC's murderous tendencies in your life, I think it'll be a lot easier to deal with. There you go. Uh, Tom Bagwell on Google+. Plus, Very interesting topic. I think he's talking about uh, urban settings. The last really long-term fantasy campaign I ran started off in an urban setting. Paradise City from the long-defunct Dark, Dark Earth uh, Legends RPG. Am I saying that right, Brett? Good God. I do not know that. It was purely urban for months, real time, and they got a real feel for the city that made the impact greater when they eventually had to make the decision to leave to pursue their goals. They had heard of far away places, but were now having to go out into strange lands with strange cultures. They knew of these things, but were now experiencing them. I believe their experiences in the city really increased the impact of the non-urban aspects of the setting compared to just dumping them into the entire setting from the beginning. So, when mixed with non-urban adventures, it provides a good contrast. Their reactions upon returning to the city were gratifying. They acted like they were coming home. That's a very good point. And uh, Fofford and the Grey Mouser and Fritz Leiber's uh, Lankmar series and such they would. They often leave Lankmar, but they're just as often drawn back to it in some way. Sometimes they have split up even from each other to go in their separate ways, but they're drawn back to each other. Having a pole that the group comes back to. Um, in the old D&D days, it used to be, well, you had a place that you would you would start your adventures from. Hey, I could start in a village of Hamlet, and I could go out from there, and you get to know people. And it's just it's one more way to do that. If you start adventuring in the city, as opposed to it just being a place, a permanent camp, if you will, with a handy blacksmith and a sage in a bar, making it a place that your first adventures took place. You've got friends and, and compatriots and other people in that area. And then you can go out from there, <clears throat> even in a sci-fi area, right? This is my home planet. This is the star base we work from. I've done work for this mining company. Therefore, I can step out and go do some stuff and come back. And when I come back, I know the lay of the land. I understand things. I've got history there. That's cool. It's no longer just a place to stop back at, but it's a place where you have a 
plethora of history just makes the rest of the world that much more alive, I think. Very good stuff. Thank you, Tom. All right. <coughs> Matt Bonhoff on G+. Bonhoff. 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 So, he's Bonhoff. from the, I believe he does the Shrieker. Is he still doing oh, the Shrieker? Right. I believe he's still doing the Shrieker. Go listen to Matt, the Shrieker. Matt, if you're not doing the Shrieker, you got to tell us because we're pimping that band. Shrieker podcast. Matt says he'd like to see an episode on names. Will you allow goofy names at your table? Here's my Dwarven Ranger, Nippy McBeard Dungle. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Nippy McBeard Dungle. And Stolen. <laughs> exactly. Named and stolen. I want to know the adventures of Nippy McBeard Dungle and all of the uh, gaming BSers that have taken him and done different things with him. Anyway, Matt continues with, do you try to make NPC names give insights into characters? Malamus Daggerback <laughs> smiles sweetly and welcomes you into his castle. Where do you turn for inspiration when naming different fantasy races? You know, Matt, I honestly, I think that's a really good, uh, it's one of those... It's a good topic, Sean. I think it I'm, is a good I'm, topic. I'm stealing it. I'm Write stealing that it. shit down so we can talk about it later. I, yes. I we started commenting on Google Plus names for characters and NPCs. Yeah, Noted. which I'll probably mention during the show that we talk about it. But there was one point in time where I was some of the folks that were at Game Home might have met my some of the folks from my group, my like Doc and Jimmy and Brian were all there, and so if, for those that met Brian. He and I were talking about making gnomes in 5e, and I said, Brian, what's your guys' name? We are going to have an all-gnome party, but Brian and I were the only two players that were like, yay. Everybody else was like, no, forget you guys. Okay. And so I said, Brian, what's your guys' name? He's he's like, my name's Brickers. He was, what's yours? I'm like, it's Grickers. And so Bickers whenever Doc Grickers and Grickers. <laughs> That's adorable. And then I had another one that I rotated out. Like I made a couple guys, a couple tunes as we call them, and rotate them into the game so I can get them leveled up for AL play. But anyways. You have Bickers, Grickers, and? I think it was Grickers, Drickers, and Brickers. And this so is how <laughs> Doc would always go around the table and he's like, Grickers. I go, did you say Grickers or Drickers? He goes, Drickers with a D. And I'm like, oh, that's you, Brian. <laughs> nice this is why I, when in my group i used to have i had two daves at one point i had three daves at one point and i've got two bills now so this is why bills are an alpha and beta because the three dave thing became very complicated it became down to last names and nicknames and so forth and that's what I, in that scenario i'd be like okay your, your your name may be drickers but i'm gonna call you something different because i have to do that but that's definitely a topic matt and it is logged and noted and it will be coming soon next one's for you sean all right, so uh, Crimfan comments. He's been commenting on our website. Thank you so much. I played a, in a few evil campaigns. I find it difficult, though being lawful evil is easier than just pointless mayhem, just as Alex Kammer said, because you have a group. I agree that wallowing in evil isn't, wasn't something I found appealing longer term, though, but it was pretty cool to try it. I played in a game with a player who was really... A, Excellent at playing evil characters with a point, though. In a Greyhawk game, one was a priest of Rao, god of reason, who went mad during the course of the game and became priest of Therizadun. Oh, that's not good. In this case, the character had become the ultimate nihilist who felt that the world was so imperfect that it needed to end. Unfortunately, we never did finish the whole story arc due to players moving, but it was very cool to explore. That is, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about kind of uh, with Jeff. It's the growth and the change of the characters, right? And sometimes you can start out in a certain path and then something happens and your character's complete viewpoint changes and then you become evil or you have a tendency towards something or suddenly it doesn't matter to you that you murdered, you know, an entire tribe of goblin babies because you're fine with that now. Um that's interesting. I like that. That concept of even if you don't start out evil, what happens when you begin to turn evil and is there... Um, a point or reason for it. Look, I'm a follower of Tharzadun because of these horrible things. Actually, this brings to mind I had a Stelios was a uh, a uh, fighter I played in a Greyhawk game, and every one of his friends died because he felt he failed them. And then he felt that his god, he was a paladin, excuse me, he felt that his god failed him. So he became an anti-paladin at the end of all things because he would say, fuck all that, screw the gods, 
I hate you all. And he was incredibly angry. And this whole thing was, you know, basically going out and causing trouble and whatever because of all the things that had caused his character feel, to feel failed by the gods, not helping him to help his friends and so forth. Misplaced uh, anger, basically. Good stuff, though. Yeah, everybody, thanks for writing in so much. Thanks for calling in goblins. Um, and if you want to call in like Goblin Henchman, uh, 929 Big Dice is the number. Otherwise, you can email Google Plus, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. If you want to do it verbally, too, we've had people send us um, MP3s or, you know, you can record it, oh, yeah. email it to us. That's fine. We can get it that way, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said this in our Patreon thing every time I thank the patrons for for supporting us. And I'll say it out loud here, too. Again, thank you to our patrons, as we do every show. But it is awesome. It is really awesome and humbling that all of you uh, men and ladies who listen to us take the time to write in or call in and tell us cool stuff like this. Matt, and every, I mean, we've got so many topic ideas from from listeners like, hey, what do you guys think about this thing? And it's really cool just to see how it grows and other perspectives on it, on all these bits and pieces. There's shit out there that Sean and I have never heard of or seen before. Oh, my God, we forgot Freeport, for Christ's sake. I mean, that's it's good to have that stuff pointed out. So thank you all very much for that. That is really, really cool. Yeah, let's get into uh, the main topic, shall we? Let's do it. All right, race versus class, or whatever the hell I said at the beginning. Class and race (laughs) versus race and class. So here's the deal. I've been, um, after I'm done with my travel game, what I want to do is run Dungeon Crawl Classics for my my core group. Yeah! And and, um, one of my... One of my players, Lenny, has been saying, you know, I really like that Lamentations of the Flame Princess thing. I've been reading a lot about it. I really like it. I got the rules. It's really cool. Yeah, get that guy out of Pathfinder, man. He's going to, he'll, yeah, he'll, yeah, yeah. he'll be good with another game. <laughs> oh, I know he will. He's just, he's just, a, he's just a curmudgeon in that space. But one of the, both of those games are races class. In Lamentations, a halfling, a warrior, a cleric, and a mage, an elf, and a dwarf. And uh, your specialist was kind of like a thief. That that's it. There's no elven specialist, no dwarven fighter, a dwarven elf. It's I thought you, red I, box, I thought you were going so forth. I, I thought you were going into a joke there for a second. <laughs> a little bit. Walk a into halfling, a, bar. a dwarf, and an elf. Walk into a bar. <laughs> the human ducks. Um. So there's a. Hmm. I totally got Brad. You totally did. You got me. You got me. <laughs> you know, boom, I'm a, I'm He's going to go on a rant for like 10 minutes. I got to throw something in here and break stop it him, up. Stop him. <laughs> um, there, I've seen this before, and it's it's honestly been a thing that nags me in the back of my head. Is like, God, is that limiting? Is that, hmm, is that okay? It sounds so weak, like there should be more to it. You should be able to mix and merge and so on. So I want to talk about that a little bit. If nothing else, just kind of talk it out loud with Sean to figure out if I'm, and uh, hopefully listeners will tell me where I'm crazy or what I'm missing. Um, but the whole concept is, you know, race as class is, like I said, if you're a dwarf in Redbox, D&D, Moldavay, Holmes, Mensner's Redbox, and so on, as I said, or Lamentations, DCC, and many other clones of that, that ilk, um, your race is a class. Your fighter, magic user, cleric, dwarf, elf, or halfling in Redbox. That's it. There so- are no... What is the what is the rationale behind that, Brett? Do you know? I am not absolutely certain of the rationale. That's a piece that kind of is probably one of the reasons that it's just totally missing out of my head, which is probably what's causing some of my consternation. The other piece I spent a lot of time, while I had played a fair amount of Redbox and such over the years, I spent many more years playing race and class. We could be a dwarven fighter or a halfling thief or then tr- trying to play against type and say, well, halfling thieves are so common. I want to be a halfling warrior or a halfling cleric or something. Um, or different variations of um, basically, um, yeah, just that 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 kind of approach. So, so Sean, do you know? Do you know why it is that way? Why is it that way, Sean? Do you know? I don't, and I was gonna look it up and see if there. I looked it up quick Google, but I don't think there's anything I can probably sink my teeth into uh, to to get that. I I wonder. Hmm. Hmm. I don't. I don't know. I wonder if it's just because of the. I know DCC and the way that it is. My only conclusion would be that humans were always portrayed to have kind of choice. 
right? They were the most versatile race. Yeah, if you go through your appendix, um, your old you know, appendix N, right, and you go back and you read the books, I'm listening to and rereading a lot of Clark Ashton Smith right now. Humans get, learn, and do, and figure things out and adapt, inter, you know, adapt, uh, improvise, and overcome. And the dwarves are the dwarves, the elves are the elves, the halflings are the halflings. That's just who they are and what they are, and that's what they do. They typically live longer. Very true. And so I wonder if it's because, damn cat in the scene. Um, <laughs> I think, it, and maybe it's because if you've been doing the same thing for a thousand years, you you aren't as fragmented. Maybe you fight and you spell cast and everything as if you had lived for a thousand years and you either know it. So it's inherent to who you are as a race. Where humans, it may not be. It's something where we are learning because we're in fantasy worlds there for such a brief time. Now that is just Sean's speculation and somebody like Frank Metzner could clear that up. So uh, maybe it's on my to-do list to ask Frank. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Next time I see, if, if I uh, catch him at GaryCon, I'll ask him, dude, the hell with that? Why, why, what's the deal? Or, so- or it goes back to, if you want to go back to the origins of D&D and Chainmail, maybe there's a tie in there. Or, Very you well know, could be. Right? The, the miniature warfare kind of. I've not delved into it that deep. It's just kind of, like I said, my preliminary thought was, oh, it feels limiting. And then I start thinking backwards from that, like, why? what's limiting about it? And yeah, okay, you don't have certain combos, but. It's a very simple setup, right? So from a design, even if I take a design perspective out, if I look at DCC, dwarves have certain abilities. There's certain things they're good at. Elves do X, excuse me, halflings do Y and so on. And the rest of everybody has their thing. And I don't have to worry about a combo that could quote unquote break my game, right? The dwarven fighter isn't the best fighter because guess what? The dwarves get a max of a thing plus the fighter's bonus of another thing plus the thing they get over here. And by second level, they're the best fighter on the planet. Nobody can beat them. I don't have to worry about that. Dwarves are dwarves are dwarves. And fighters are fighters are fighters. They're all good at their own thing, right? If you are into balance of characters, you can kind of uh, you can go through it. But there are fewer things to mix and match between them. Um, first edition AD&D, if nothing else, one of the things that you would have – with a human, as a human was the only race that could be unlimited, essentially in any class. They could a thief forever. They could, you know, they could go. They had no level limitations. Where your dwarves or whatever could only be like a tenth level this, or the elf could be the fifteenth or twelfth level whatever else. So there were limitations strapped on them where the human could do whatever. And I think the the nature of it being kind of bigger buckets instead of uh, multiple things that have to kind of change and move around, simplifies, I think, some of the uh, the initial onset choices. I want to be somebody who's kind of good at magic, but is also good with a sword. Uh, you know, that's kind of your elf, dude. That's just a good place to go, just be an elf. You don't have to worry about what's the best combo to make the most effective warrior mage or something. What is that? Does that that's the thought in my head. Sean, do you, any credence to that in your mind, or do you think I'm crazy? What do you think there? I'm not set in stone on this. I'm just talking out loud, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, VC's talking about maybe we humanize the non-human races. But I'm trying to understand a little bit more about what that means. Hmm. Interesting. See, I don't know. The simplicity the simplicity behind it is sometimes rather uh, comforting and welcome, you know, because like even DCC, like you mentioned, or even classic, uh, you know, basic expert, whatever. El- you know, you want to play casty person, fighty person, it's elf. There's no, there, there isn't anything to kind of choose from. It's a box, right? Here's your box, you know, yep. have Off fun. Yeah, it's. You know, it's like a bento box. You got a little of this, a little of that. <laughs> a little that's, that. that's it. You know, nothing, nothing more than that. Um, where humans, you know, they could do all kinds of kooky stuff. And then there's multi-classing, right? So if you're an AD and D and you're wanting to, you wanting to play a particular class, a uh, uh, multi-class, then you have to be like human, half elf, or you run into limitations. 
Yeah, I mean, back in the old days, there was multi and then dual classing were two totally different things. You know, certain races, I think humans could multi-class and only um, the other races could dual class or something. There were different rules and whatnot between them. But, but the simplicity is kind of, there's something really attractive about that to me, I think, because there's less to, again, less to mix and match and how does this work or, or whatever. And the other piece is then when you, from an NPCs and so on, again, it's just simpler all around for the whole world. If this is what the race is, and the race is the thing that you can be, you have all the benefits thereof and so forth. Now, on the flip side is that <clears throat> sometimes you don't, it's not like a class bloat per se. I mean, like the splat book hell, right? Where you just run into like, hey, 52 versions of the fighter. This one's a samurai fighter. This one is a ninja thief. This one's a pirate fighter. This one's a, you know, whatever, all those, those, those pieces. I don't see as much, and maybe this is, I'm just not traveling in the right circles, but I don't see a lot of people. I know DCC has some of this, especially for certain worlds and stuff. Will there be new classes or a new race class, right? They'll talk about that on, on the Sanctum Secorum podcast where they'll say, hey, you know, if you're going to DCCI's this Appendix N book, this is a thing that could be a new class, this race or this thing. But it's very, it tends to be very um, setting specific, right? And uh, I, I think that's okay. Again, it's easier, and perhaps I, at least in Brett's head, it would be easier for me to go through and say, I'm going to play Lamentation of the Flame Princess. I'd like to have a ranger. I really want a ranger. It's not really a fighter. It's not uh, blah. I want to do, I want to have a ranger, something a little different. Um, and building a class for that, I think is it's easier to make sure that's balanced because, again, I don't have other bits and pieces to try to, to, try to put across it. But, Sean, I guess maybe my question, the biggest question I have for you is, do you like that? Do you, when you see that, do you go, oh, God, I really wish I'd rather play a, a dwarven thief than just a dwarf. Does that throw you off or put you off at all? So I think it is the type of game that you want to enjoy. And having said that, it doesn't bother me if that is the type of game that we're going to play. So if it's DCC or basic or expert, mm -hmm. then I I embrace what that game provides. Now, or, do you want to do, do that though? Well, if it's a game that I, if that is not something I care for, then I will not want to play that game or I will not want to play that game for an extended amount of time. That was going to be my next question. Like right. one shot or campaign. -y type yeah. Thing. Maybe it's really short three, three to four, four hour sessions or whatever that looks like. Now I do also think that, you know, classes came a little bit later more classes, right? Because the basic classes are very, what well, can you name them off, Brett? Mr. Osric guy? Like, I mean, not Osric, uh, even before that, basic classes for humans. Crickets. Sorry, sorry. Fighter. Yeah, ha, 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 ha. All right. <laughs> Didn't want to cough in the mic there. So you've got oh. fighter, magic user, cleric, and thief. Right, that's for, now that's uh, humans. That's humans. Right, that's it. So you have, or those, if you go if you go back further, they were called fighting men, <laughs> right? They weren't even called fighters. But if you wanted to become a ranger, you kind of join you, you were elf, right? Yes. Or there were certain in Mensner series after expert, you get to companion and masters and so on. There were other sub classes. You at a certain point you could become a druid. I have the rule cyclopedia, the hardcover. Right. Um uh, there's druid. I think there is I know there's druid. There's another variation. I think there's a paladin kind of version E thing in there that you know fighters could turn into type of thing if you want a certain path. <clears throat> so I think what that does is actually brings this to my my mind is that it doesn't when I think about like, oh, it feels really limiting. And then I remember how I play and you know, how my group plays. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't limit anything because what will happen is somebody will go along and they'll make their character and like, well, you know, I'm a dwarf, but I spend a lot of time in the woods because my best friend was an elf and this is my backstory. And these older systems like this don't have a lot of skills, right? So you just say, hey, look, you know, I was a dwarven farmer and I lived near this you know, elven co uh, community and my best friend was an elf. Therefore I learned, I, you know, I, I know some of this stuff and okay. Yeah. Within reason you can do that thing. And when you're encountering crazy magics, like your weird magics in DCC or, um, or lamentations and so forth or, or anything like that, you can have, you can find things that will augment you. Hey, this gives me 
uh, plus five on stock. This is Elven Cloak, Elven Cloak and Boots. Anybody can use that type of thing. And it allows the person who's not the, the thief to be able to do something different. So there's ways to augment that, um, either permanently or semi-permanently in, in the game itself as it's played. People find things, they learn stuff, and so on. So... I don't know. There's there's a piece of me that thinks that, and maybe it's it comes down to presentation to my players that people feel like it's a limit. But then again, then on the flip side, I say, why? How is it more free? In some weird choice perspective, to say, well, you could be a dwarven warrior or a dwarven wizard or whatever. It's okay. It's a couple more choices. It's not as open as like a GURP system where you could be. You can pick all of this huge bevy of skills and everything. It's not that crazy wide open. I don't know. I think hmm. it's simpler. Talking I mean, those games are very, uh, they're not simpler necessarily, but they are, th- th- that approach to race and class is pretty easy. I mean, you're not, AD&D, when you're starting to go, well, now I pick a class, now I pick a race. Now, you know, there's maybe limitations and then there's different in ages and then I get bonuses that's why when humans were always, um, you know, you got an extra feat because you didn't pick another race, but then you also didn't get the the plus two minus two goofiness that occurred True. with yep. races, right? So getting into that class dynamic, they always kind of, well, they're we're gonna give humans this, and then we're gonna give you know demi humans, you know, this and this. We're gonna give them a plus, but then we're gonna take something away from them, and then for humans. They're going to be even, but we're going to give them one one element, which would be a feat. Where basic expert, um, BECM, it's starting out anyway. It's very you know, here you go. What do you want to do? It's like here's your and the the people that enjoy those games, not all of them, but most of them, kind of like that simplistic approach where it's not getting into all this mixing and matching of crap, right? It's kind of like, hey, I want to. You know, DCC. My character fits on a size of a of a, a business card as exactly. a zero level, and then when I go to first level, I pick a race, or well, if I'm human, pick I pick a, a class. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're dwarf, you're elf, you're halfling. The thing that's interesting when she when she said this is coming to my mind here is that there is even in a race and class perspective, the race is still very important, right? So if you're an elf, you pick an elven warrior because you want to be an elven warrior, not just a fighter. You want to have, you want to know more about elves. You as a player are into elves. Um, so in this case, when you're picking elf dwarf or halfling for DCC or something like that, you really, you're buying into that race and their perspective and so forth. And you can have things where your dwarf travels to a new realm and finds the dwarves that live in the ice mountains and the ice mountain dwarves have a slightly different skill that he can learn because he's a dwarf. Like, Oh, now I have this other cool thing. Um, so I think it, it, maybe this is just something that's dawning on me or I'm being ass here, but I think it helps really focus more on the demi humans as uh, puts more focus on them as a people within the game world. Um, and doesn't really worry so much about your class. Right, it's more like, hey, if you want to be an elf, it's because you want to learn about elf stuff. So here you go. Here's a bunch of elf stuff. Don't have to worry about, you know, also picking fighter feats or thief skills or whatever. Just you know, focus on being an elf. Well, yeah, and the do way that you, really well. The way you're framing it up is, if you are elf or you are dwarf or you are halfling, you are a race and a class at the same time. Exactly. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think with DCC, you have to be kind of careful, Brett, because some folks said you know, our more purists on the DCC side is you, you roll random for your, your zero levels. So, you, Oh yeah, no, you, 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 live, may, you don't get to pick shit. You just right. end up with what you end up with. Right. Well, you, you have influence, right? So if you're going to have True. somebody take the ax back in like the day when we used to roll up five characters for AD and D you'd always favor one. So it's like, Hey, who's number three? And it's like, well, that's this guy. Cause he sucks. And I don't want him to live because yeah, I, want- I have Caldor, the wizard's apprentice. Yeah. And I have old number one, two, three, four, and five. Right. I guess Ex- where you want to live, right? That's, right? that's who you're trying to make sure stays alive. Exactly. Right, man. And that's the principle behind DCC, uh, in trying to get one of them to survive. So while you, you have a little bit of control, but you're not picking yourself kind of like, 
I'm picking an elf as a race and a wizard. So let me ask you this. I have, so I know my answer, obviously, but I want to ask you yours is that when you have played those games, have you felt, so it, the discussion of, is it limiting, blah, blah, blah. Now let's just talk about what happened when you're actually doing it. When you're playing that game, when race is class, you're a dwarf, you're a halfling, you're an elf, or you're something else. Do you feel at the time you're playing it like, oh boy, I really wish I was a dwarven thief instead of just a dwarf? Does that bother you? Does that come into your play? Does that something that ever hits your mind? Uh, you know, are you talking like basic and expert and not DCC? Any of them. I mean, when you're playing DCC and say your first level and you're playing a dwarf, does that, do you care? Do you no. like, oh no, I wish I was a dwarven fighter instead? No, because I embrace the spirit of DCC, which is dwarf. You're that, you're that good of a game. Uh, you don't even care. You don't even think about anything beyond what's in front of you. Them, Dude, <laughs> I have guys like my buddy Jeff, I've brought him up before. Who who always plays the same character and relatively this like you, I could pick his next character within a class and a race like he's either <laughs> gonna be magic user fighter guy because he's yeah. always got to be that magic user fighter he wants to be the you know I'm a Jedi Knight right I fight and I cast little mindy tricky stuff so right? he's an elf right and <laughs> so he's an elf or a half elf he's been mm-hmm. half elves very rarely is he a human so. I, when you when I throw him at DCC, he's gonna be like, dude, I don't want to play a halfling, right? That's not him. With me, I could give a shit, right? I just embrace it. So to answer your question is, if it's DCC and I play a dwarf, it doesn't bother me. How now? Going back to basic and expert, some would argue just because you're a dwarf fighter doesn't mean you can't. Like we we got to get out of the mindset of you can't do something. Yeah, well, very good point. Right? Oh, that's a very good point. With that system. It doesn't mean that you still can't check for traps. We've you talked about this suck, before. Yeah, you might suck total ass at yep. it, but the, the that is that's why people tend to get away from three O and the skill list and the more feats thing and some of that. Piece oh, because I, I don't know like why people, I didn't think about that, but that's a really good point. People get into the I can't pick locks because I'm not roguey guy and I don't have pick locks as a skill or whatever, and that's. That sucks ass, and I think AD&D kind of touches a little bit of that, right? Because thieves have those thieving skills. But you still have that OSR idea of, tell me what it is you want to do, right. and how you're doing it, narratively, well, and you know the old narrative positioning concept, tell me what it is you're trying to do. Well, we don't have a thief, the thief is down for the count, I'm going to take my dagger, cram it in the lock, and see if I can just do so, you know, break open the lock. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Sure, the dwarf breaks, the dwarf's the quote-unquote thief of the moment because he's picking the lock with the end of his dagger. Yeah, or the fighter says, you know what, I'm trapped in this hallway, I'm going to um, dump my water skin on the floor, we've used this example before, right, to see if the water runs down the cracks or if it pools anywhere, if there's a dip or a pit or something to try, the 10-foot pole poking around, swabbing, <laughs> as I said, big Q-tip on a 10-foot pole, swabbing the hallway to see where the traps are. So, yeah, that's a really good point. So the limitation isn't, beca- it doesn't stop you from doing anything. No, you may be better at You're better at certain mantra, things. right? It's rules yes, over rulings, right. it's... Good it's, God, why is this on my head already? Well, it's like in Dungeon <laughs> World, you narrate it all. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. the old school, like, j- just tell me what you want to do and you can do it. Now, having said that, there are classes or races that may be more, maybe better or well-versed at a particular thing. That So, for example, Brett, you are project manager guy, I am recruiter guy. That doesn't mean that some knucklehead that doesn't know either of those industries doesn't come up with a better idea. Like, hey, Sean, you know, you should go and go like uh, go here to this event because there's going to be many, many more type of prospects and it would probably get you some more recruits. Oh, genius. Right. I didn't think of that. I'm recruiter guy. But that doesn't mean I have the answers to everything. No, very good point. Fuck. I feel like a complete moron. Why didn't I think about that? You know, Brett, it's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up, buddy. It's okay. It's okay. You're stupid every once in a while. It's fine. Well, I mean, a public display of it is a public you know, display of foolishness. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you though, it's goofy because, like I said, I want to talk about it because it's been bothering me. I'm like, why is this bothering me? What the hell is tripping me up? I can't answer this to myself. So until I can answer it for myself, how am I going to answer it to the group when somebody throws that at me? Because I know somebody's going to throw it at me. And you're right. It comes down to not only simplicity, blah, 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 even throw that stuff out. Say, look, gamer, 
it's fine. It's an OSR style game. Therefore, you can still pretty much do anything you can describe. You know, you have a chance. You have a shot. You can give it. A, you can do something, and the game master will then explain what happens to his or her character. So Angela wants to do a thing. She explains it to me, and I say, "Yes, your elf was totally able to do this thing that normally only a dwarf could do, but you were smart enough to come up with this really cool thing to try, and therefore you figured out the passageway slopes." Done. And it is like when we're talking about this stuff, it's a different game. It's a different kind of thought process. It's a different approach that you either are going to enjoy or you're not going to prefer. And that's okay. It's just something different. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, it really is. God, I don't know why this didn't hit me before. I feel like I'm a complete tool for not not thinking of this, but that's what I'm here for, buddy. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, man. That's, that's, that's the skill you have that I don't have. You could could tell me when I'm stupid. Every once in a while, man, I, I can come to the rescue. That's good. That's cool though. Honestly, I think that that puts that issue. That's no now a non-issue for me. I have an answer in my head. Why? Why don't I mind it? Why is this a, not a thing to be worried about? Well, because it's not a thing to be worried about. Just let it go, right? Because of the style of gameplay. And think, and you hit on this was you're embracing the game. This is how the game's played, so I don't care. Yeah, man. Yeah, DCC that totally is gets not, it. I totally get it. Yeah, do it's it. It's not D and D. Like it's that's why it's called Dungeon Crawl Classics. Does it have its roots or or some uh, inspiration from that? Does Does Dungeon World absolutely? Yeah. Well, even even Lamentations and and one yeah. similar to that too have components and pieces, but it's still like, look, tell me what it is you want to try to do, and I'll tell you if it works. You yeah, know? and I think or, or the we'll designers. I think the designers and and everything. Um, they want to, there's a reason why they kind of go about it the way they do. And if it's for yeah. the right, you know, whatever reason, whatever that is, and they've thought about it and they've put some work into it, it's going to facilitate the game that they're out to to put out. And that may be a little, little different than 5e or first edition or basic or DCC or lamentations or what yep. insert any other castles and crews. I mean, shit, man, we'd be here yep. all night when we start talking about all those games. No, I get it. Okay, cool. All right. You, you have solved my conundrum for the week. Thank you. Holy cow, man. I didn't even go into this thinking I would ever accomplish anything, Brett. <laughs> you have saved me, sir. Thank you very much. Holy no, cow. this is good. This is really good. Fuck. I think we can move on, dude. All right, let's I do it. I got nothing else to say on that. Let's get into die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming geekery or inspiration we want to bring to you. Brett and I are a big fail this week. But we've got a couple from listeners that make it up. And frankly, I'm just not on Google+. Plus. Usually when I'm on Google+, Plus, I'm like, ooh, that's cool. And then I'll, I'll mark it. I'll bookmark it. And then put it in the show notes and bring it up on die roll and... I just haven't been doing that enough in the last couple of weeks, so well, that's tell you my what, excuse. Though, man, right? I, I tell you what, we I said this at the top, and I mean it here too. Is that <laughs> our listeners have pointed out some really kick-ass stuff? Half the time we used to just go through and comb through what the listeners would post in our in our communities and and steal it. Now we're just giving credit to who whoever posted out to us. We've been doing that for a while, but I think that's the uh, that may well be the answer to our conundrum. Listener listener provided de- uh, feedback in this space is even better than what we find half the time. Yeah. So I, I'll read the first one. You do it. Because they, they wrote in. So, hey, Brett and Sean, I'm not sure if this is gaming and BS worthy and very gameable, but this fella's Star Wars economics nerd foo is impressive. A lot of gamers have played in a fantasy world and wondered about the economy. This guy learned, leaned into the subject hard. Not learned. There's no R and leaned. Andy Hall. This is the individual who wrote that, uh, provides the cost of the Death Star. So some of us nerds have seen that floating around the webosphere. That's awesome. Um, so it's like the quintillion dollar object. It's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. That's just hilarious. I love and that. hey, man, Rogue One, buddy. Go and see it. Oh, really? Is it good? Yeah, man, it's good. What the hell? I don't like Star Wars, so I'm just wondering if it's good. <sighs> <laughs> I had to bring you down after that big high I gave you earlier. I told you were you helped me win. Now I want to see it actually. After seeing um the last one, and it's kind of like, okay, maybe I'm gonna dig this again. 
And Rogue One is uh, looks to be a lot more interesting to me than uh, most of the other Star Wars things I've been seeing as of late. So I will definitely see that. Man, I tell you what, I made freaking record time to get from the east side to the west side because this knucklehead bought tickets at the wrong goddamn theater. <laughs> I go there and it's one of those automated things. Like I put in my credit card. It's like no tickets were found. I'm like, what? What do you fucking mean? There's this no is tickets at eight found. o'clock on a Saturday, man. I'm like, what? On the in in Madison, we run on an isthmus. It goes east to yep. west. So to get from one end of the town to the other is not an easy feat. I'm like, seven forty five. The movie starts at eight. <laughs> I'm like, I know there's going to be freaking trailers. You had to fly under radar. To and get I literally there. look at my. I'm like, I I could have swore I I booked the thing late at night. I'm like, okay, I got the right theater at the right time. It's like a completely empty theater. I'm like, I'm good. I get up, ask crack of dawn, walk my dog, go to the, the- stop at Starbucks so I can stay awake, go to the theater, no tickets. Freaking haul ass across the West Side, man. Still in time to see like five different trailers before the movie started. <laughs> you got there quick. That's pretty good. I got there in like, I think tw- less 20 minutes, less than 20 minutes from Sun Prairie, man. Holy shit, you were flying. All the way to Mineral Point Road. Yeah, NORAD caught you flying. They're like, what is that? I'm like, there can't be anybody out. I got four-wheel drive, man. I'm good, man. Let's get this thing on the road. Anyways, nice. That's my Star Wars Rogue One show. And for people that don't know where some prairie is and Mineral Point Road. That means nothing. But it, just admit that it's a long way to go on a busy day in the snow. Google it, man. And you can tell you how far it is. All Anyways, right, the other one we, the other yeah. one we had was from Ezreal Arocha, who is um, one of our awesome uh, die roll correspondents. Ezreal's given us some great stuff recently. An ancient lost city has been discovered. Um, he put this out there and I looked at it. Uh, archaeologists, archaeologists have discovered the ruins of a lost city atop the hill on the great uh, Thessalian plains of Greece, some 300 kilometers north of Athens. Uh, w- really? What? Right north of Athens? That close? Oh my God! There's a whole city over there. Good, good God! Uh, they don't go very far outside of Athens, apparently. Apparently not. No. Which is kind of cool because I read that. I'm like, and I think about the closeness of it, which of course brings me right back to Dungeon Crawl Classics, where it's like, look, the world isn't all that big for your players. You don't have to go that far from the main piece, right? You, if if Athens was the place where your characters had their first city adventure and they wanted to go outside of it, boom, less than 300 kilometers out. You've got an underground dungeon right there, right there, that close, and everybody even forgot it was around. Big bamboo, really, really cool stuff. Thank you, everybody. Good well, there's stuff. Roman crap everywhere though, too. Just so I mean, oh yeah, there's I mean, there's shit buried underneath other stuff, stuff on top. I did that with my Avalon setting. You know, there's a dwarven, there's a dwarven thing that Avalon itself was built on. Then there's things beneath that, and there's other caverns, and there's all sorts of shit. It's kind of the whole um, undermountain concept in the Forgotten Realms too, in Waterdeep. There's just stuff. You know, everything's built on top of everything else, literally, in the case of many civilizations. So, good stuff. Crazy. Absolutely. I still can't believe I didn't think about that at the beginning. This is going to haunt me all night. This is neat. What's that? This is the whole, oh my God, the revelation you you gave unto me. This is (laughs) Seriously, not that big a deal. It's like my Christmas miracle. I'm just so happy. Brett has not felt whole. There's been a disturbance in the forest, and then all of a sudden it smacked him in the face this evening. It did. Apparently. It did. Very good stuff. (laughs) Well, if you've enjoyed this, we'll talk to you about our sponsor, GameholeCon. Visit GameholeCon.com. It's a it's a game con here, tabletop RPG game con. November 2017 is the next one. That's GameholeCon 6. It's going to be great. It's going to be three and a half days of game. Three and a half days, right, Friday? Yeah, they're adding a half Three and a half further. days of gaming. Get your ass to GameholeCon here in Madison, Wisconsin. Sean, you just, you, very you're going to love it. You're going to love it, eh? It's great, eh? That's almost as bad. That's almost yeah. as bad as your Australian. <laughs> See, an accent. Now you tell me what accent that is. Uh, that's Wisconsin native, man. <laughs> is it Wisconsin native? <laughs> that's up That's up north native. Got yeah. some beer and cheese curds. You got to come down to Wisconsin and have a great old time. It's just going to be awesome. Brett and I will oh. be there, friends of the show. We're going to have oh. some beers. Oh, hell yeah. Crap yeah. We All got right, some uh, trucks out there that's going to serve food. Shit's oh, going to be fantastic. Make sure you get out there. Gameholecon.com. Visit that. Hey, before I uh, before I go too far, I also want to call it the um, Dead Games uh, Dead Game Society. Chad Parrish had Phil Vecchione and I on last night. We recorded a uh, oh, thank you, thank you for the golf clap there, Sean. We recorded a uh, a marathon, damn near three hours of Amber Diceless role playing discussion between the three of us. Uh, three Amber Diceless fanboys 
having a blast. It was fun. I think uh, I think we covered as much as we could. I think that's that a I think that's a fifteen minute show. I think Chad runs Dead Game Size like fifteen minute episodes. Yeah, so. it's, it's, I think he's got. I think his goal was to get enough out of that one episode, so we didn't have to record again for like two years because he's just going to cut it into fifteen minute chunks. That's Dead Game gonna, Society anyway. episode thirty two and a half, uh, Amber part five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, it's I don't know when it's going to drop, but uh, thanks to Chad Parrish for uh, bringing me on the show and Phil Vacuum for joining me there. It was a lot of fun. That was really cool. Yeah, you have to check that out. A little crossover there. That's pretty good stuff. Absolutely. All right. Hey, uh, Brett, what are we talking about next week on this wonderful, fantastic podcast we got here going on in Madison, Wisconsin? <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about our gaming goals for 2017. I touched on it a bit here with uh, my I'm going to run DCC next year. It's not necessarily a New Year's resolution thing, but Sean and I have talked about a couple different things that we want to get going or do a little different. Um game clubs and things like that i just want to kind of talk about what we're what we're thinking about doing next year you know with even with game hole itself you know how do we want to high level thoughts of what we may or may not want to do i think there's it's i don't know for me for whatever reason i mean i guess it's not just for me but lots of people look at hey the new year i'm going to do something different and uh, i really think um i've had a lot of different stuff I, i crammed on my plate gaming wise for 2016 and i wasn't able to really get all of it done so I'm trying to better organize myself for next year. So uh, anyway, we'll talk it through. We'll see what we uh, see what we got going. And of course, we're gonna have some kick-ass listener feedback. So there we go. Yes, that's great. I can't wait. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, this has been another episode of Gaming MBS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming MBS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lumbercraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Old School DM, The Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Merkel Froehlich, Lewayne Lumrunner Humphleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, Craig Huber, and Eli Kurtz. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Visit GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you.